Thank you. I knew if anybody could read that whole chapter, it, could be, it would be Calvin. So it was the perfect choice for that. Thanks for walking us through that. Um, at our house, it is wedding season. Full on, T minus six days. Marrying off the firstborn daughter. And if you've ever seen Father of the Bride, the one with Steve Martin, you guys seen that movie? I have not been arrested yet and gone to jail, so I would take that as a win. Um, so, yeah, God has really shown us tremendous love uh, during this season, and it's one of those things where uh, you know it's going to be stressful, you know there's a lot to do, there's a lot of things to be handled, but then just watching God's kindness and his faithfulness and his love for us that gets mediated through other people, and many of and much of that has happened through a lot of you, just the ways that you've loved us or offered things to us or helped and in different ways. And I love to watch as, as God does that. And to be the recipient of that kind of love is very humbling because I think one of the ways that God works in the world, or maybe the main way that God works in the world, is through people. Like He wants to love us in a mediated way. He wants to provide for us in a mediated way, like through people. Um, he could give us exactly what we need by just you know, snapping his finger, doing the genie in the bottle thing, and say, oh, here's that thing that you need. Here's, that, uh, here's, here's the wedding food. It just happened to appear. You know, there. Or he could bring somebody in and mediate his love through other people, and God chooses to do that. We're gonna see this morning how Jesus even speaks of that as a way in which we love God, as we love other people. This last few verses here in Matthew chapter 10 are the end of this basically second sermon that we have in the book of Matthew. The first sermon, uh, what's famously known as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's, Matthew chapters five through seven is not the only sermon in Matthew. There's a few of, of these discourses or sermons in Matthew 10 is one of them. So you've now sat through one sermon, Jesus' sermon, and now you get to hear my sermon. Isn't that exciting? Two sermons in the morning. This, so, th- so there's the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7, and then in chapter 10, what I call the Sermon on the Mission. The Sermon on Jesus' mission. It's all about him sending his disciples out to go on mission for him, to take his gospel and the, and the, the kingdom to all these towns in Israel and speak his words and what's going to happen to them. He gives them a a heads up on that. So these are the verses right at the tail end, though, that we're going to be looking at today, starting at verse 40. It says, the one who welcomes you welcomes me, and the one who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. The one who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who welcomes a righteous person because she's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones a single cup of cold water, just because they're a disciple, tell you the truth, will surely not lose his reward. Now, I'm going to give you a little freebie on Bible translations. And when studying the Bible, just just as with translating between any other language, anybody in here speak more than one language? Anybody multilingual? So several people multilingual. And you know that when you 
When you speak, you translate from one language, the original language, into a receptor language or a second language. We got Wycliffe missionaries over here who know exactly what I'm talking about, right? That's what you guys do in your whole organization. When you translate from original language to receptor language, you have to make choices about words and meanings because words don't just translate one-to-one from one language to another. And so you have to make choices about what words you're going to use to convey an idea from an original language. And when the scriptures are translated into the language of English, which most of us understand, translators have to make a choice between words and their meanings, and they usually do so for very good reasons. And in the case of this text, this is one of those texts where as I'm reading along, I'm going like, hold on a second, there's two different Greek words here that are translated with the same English word. Like, why in the world did you do that? And I'm asking, you know, I'm asking my Bible that, and it's not answering. Um, but the translators had to do that, and they took these two different words, and they translated them as receive, the word receive in, in many English translations, like my English standard version, if you read the King James Version, the New Living Version, New Living Translation, the New American Standard, all of these translate two different words as receive. Other translations differ, like the one that I just read you, where they translate one of those words as the word welcome. That's the first of the words I'm speaking of. It's used four times in verse 40. It's used twice in verse 41. It's used six times. And it certainly can mean receive, but receive in a very personal sense, a specific sense of receiving someone hospitably. Like if you welcome someone into your home, you're receiving them into your home as an individual, as a person, you're, you're extending hospitality and welcome to them. So when I, when I just read you a moment ago, I used the word welcome, the translation welcome instead of receive. The second word, which is used twice in verse 41, it's translated receive, and it's used about receiving rewards, either, either they're receiving the reward of a prophet or receiving the word of a righteous person. This is a more common word that's used in the New Testament, but it has the meaning here. It's a, it's a more impersonal meaning. It's receiving or taking possession of something like a gift. You get a birthday gift, you receive that gift. You get a direct deposit into your bank account. You smile and you receive the direct deposit, right? It's like getting a gift or a wage or a payment. All right, so off the nerd tangent, back to, back to what Jesus is trying to say here. He's giving us a picture of welcoming hospitality. And the the welcome that's pictured here by Jesus is, is, is a kind of hospitality that can be expressed or lived out in, in the simple and most basic and even un, unimpressive act of offering someone a single cup of cold water. Jesus is talking here about the kinds of hospitable acts that are required by these disciples that he's sending out. He says, in the midst of wolves, I'm sending you out into people that will devour you and and hate you and and, and arrest you and persecute you. You are going to need people to take care of you. You are going to need hospitable people to welcome you in as you go on mission for me. So back in verse 9, he says, Don't acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belt. 
nor a bag for the road, nor two shirts, nor sandals, nor a walking stick, for the worker is worthy of his keep. But whatever city or village you enter, look for whoever is worthy in it and remain there until you leave. And when you've entered the home, greet its inhabitants. You go into this home and you stay there, and there are worthy people who are going to offer you hospitality. And when we looked at this passage almost a month ago, I noted that this idea of worthiness is really connected to to generous love. One of our core values as a church, generous love, which is the foundation of welcoming hospitality. So worthy people are those who who live lives of generous love, extending hospitality and welcome of those who are Jesus' disciples. Because the disciples themselves are on a generous mission. Jesus says, you've, you've, given, you've received freely, now give freely. They're to go and give the gospel away free of charge, not ask to be paid for it, not take gold or silver or anything. And those who are worthy are those who welcome those disciples with generous hearts. And, and they also tend to be those who are most receptive to the gospel. And as I said a month ago, the abundant generosity of the king kingdom will either be a point of reception or a point of rejection for people because the gospel is scandalous because it's free and this scandal of free grace received without pay and it's given away in like manner so those who welcome Jesus disciple tend to be the kind of people who see all things as gifts All things that you receive, everything that you have is a gift. It's a gift of God's grace. And when you see things as gifts, you tend to have your hands open, receiving the gifts that are coming your way and knowing that anything that comes your way is a gift from God, no matter what it is or where it comes from. But if you don't view reality that way, if you don't view reality with a a generous outlook, then you won't open your hands, you'll close your hands, and you'll grasp at things, and you'll hold tightly to things. The people Jesus is talking about here tend to be generous instead of greedy. They tend to trust in God's abundance rather than in the world's scarcity. And to them, even the next next cup of cold water is is a gift from a generous God and a reason for our utmost gratitude. So I, I speak about our wedding preparation, and all the different ways that God is loving us and showing kindness to us through people, through people's generosity towards us. One of, and that's the most important principle I think we can see in this passage, or one of them, is that God normatively uses people to do his work, to distribute his gifts. The next cup of cold water comes through someone else to you. Even if it's the city of Prineville and you just get it out of the tap, it's still coming through somebody or somebody handing it to you. All the many, I should say, many or most of God's divine gifts are mediated by human hands. And the glass of water to the little ones who belong to Jesus is a way that God is loving them through you and through me. In Matthew 10, 40, Jesus says, the one who welcomes you welcomes me. And the one who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. 
And as I mentioned before, that word there for welcome carries the sense of a personal hospitality, welcoming, welcoming a person. But it's also welcoming a person and what they represent. That is approving of or accepting who they represent and their teaching or their message. So, so Jesus says, if you welcome a prophet because he's a prophet, you're welcome, welcoming him as a prophet with the message and, and who has sent him. You're showing hospitality, care and kindness and protection because he's a prophet. You are approving and accepting of their mission and their message and thus the one who sent them. So to welcome those whom Jesus has sent, Jesus says, is, is like starting this chain where you're actually welcoming and loving Jesus himself. And not just Jesus himself, but also his Father. Now for the remainder of this sermon, we'll be looking ahead to Matthew 25 and a couple other passages as well. But in Matthew 25, Jesus expresses some of the very same ideas he speaks of here, but in the form of parables. And in the context of one of these parables, which is the parable of the sheep and the goats, the same idea is expressed in a different way. He says this in Matthew 25, verse 40. It says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, and he's talking about giving cups of cold water, visiting the prisoner, taking care of the needy, clothing the naked, feeding the hungry. As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. In other words, the way in which we treat Jesus' disciples is the exact way that we treat Jesus. Listen to how the Apostle John puts it in 1 John chapter 4. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother or sister, that includes both, which is basically his fellow disciple, if you, if you hate your brother or sister in Christ, you're a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love, his, love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And when we welcome and love Jesus' people, in other words, when we welcome and love each other, we welcome and love Jesus himself. And we, when we neglect each other, we neglect Jesus himself. And on the flip side, when we are welcomed and loved as Jesus' people, as his representatives, then those who welcome and love us are welcoming and loving Jesus himself. I mean, this is so simple. It's, a, it's not that profound, and yet it is seriously profound. It's a truth that should cause all of us to rethink, how am I treating the person that God has put right in front of me? How am I relating to my brothers and sisters in the church? How am I treating the church? What does it mean to love God through simple acts of generosity and hospitality and care and concern? There's an amazing amount of profound love that we can express simply by welcoming others. Now, Jesus says something in verse 42 that almost sounds like an insult. He calls his disciples these little ones. You ever get called that by somebody? You feel kind of like a child? Remember when you used to get your, anybody get their cheek pinched by a great aunt or something like that? 
And several times throughout the rest of Matthew, Jesus will actually refer to his disciples with similar language. Look at the very next chapter, chapter 11, verse 25. He says, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things, the gospel, namely, that you've hidden the gospel of the kingdom from the wise and understanding. You've hidden it from the the kings and the, the philosophers and the religious educated leaders, and you've revealed them to little children. And the word used here can be translated as baby or infants or children. But it's this idea of like, you, you, you've let known, you've made known, you've revealed your truth to infants, to ch- little children, little immature, innocent children. And so he's calling his disciples babies. Jesus, of course, uses the word metaphorically to refer to them, those who by faith enter God's kingdom and follow him. The the world looks, he says, the world looks at you as babies, as ignorant, as backwards, as childish, as infantile, as immature. And yes, that's speaking of you, by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus. We're resistant to that idea, aren't we? We don't like to be called kids. How dare Jesus call us babies, right? He must be talking about someone else. But of course, his disciples thought that very same thing, and they came to him in Matthew 18. At that time, disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We don't want to be told that we're little or that we're small or that we're children. We want to be told that we're great, that Jesus thinks we're amazing, that we're winning, right? Jesus, don't you think I'm great? Jesus doesn't ever validate us based on our greatness. He always validates us based on his own greatness. And his greatness dictates our place in the kingdom. And when he looks at us, he says, you are my little children. Our significance in the kingdom actually comes from our smallness. Our significance actually comes from our smallness. Here's, Here's what Jesus says a little bit later in In Matthew 18, this is where he calls a child to him and he puts the child in the midst of them and he says, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives, better translated welcome, by the way, the same exact word that we have in Matthew 10, 40 and 41, whoever welcomes one such child. In other words, whoever welcomes a disciple who has made himself like a child or herself like a child, who has humbled themselves, whoever welcomes one such child in my name, in other words, because they belong to me, receives, again, the word welcomes, me. Let me do that whole sentence again. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes or receives me. That whole sentence right there is Jesus riffing on Chapter 10, verse 40. Him saying the same exact thing in another way. Then he goes on, but whoever causes one of these little ones, that's the same exact wording from chapter 10, verse 42. He's referring to the same people here, these disciples. Whoever causes one of these little ones, one of you disciples, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. He continues in 
The same chapter, verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. Again, the same exact phrase. Do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And then Jesus stops and tells a parable here, and it's the parable of the lost sheep. Remember, the shepherd's got 100 sheep, loses one of them, and he will leave the 99 in the field and pursue that one sheep out of his deep love and care and concern for that one sheep until he has found it and rescued it. So he tells that story, and then he comes back in verse 14 and says this, so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven, that one of these little ones, that's you, disciples, it's not the, the will of the, your Father who is in heaven that one of you little ones should perish. In other words, when you are Jesus' little child, he will pursue you to the ends of the earth to give you life and to bring you home. Is that good news? That's gospel. So humble yourself, become like a child, intend to become like one of these little ones. In the eyes of the world, the only thing visible when they look at us will be people of no value or worth, who are low, who are despised, who are insignificant, unrecognized, irrelevant. We think of our brothers and sisters in Pakistan and Afghanistan who are looked at as second-class citizens, is treated as lower than dirt because of their faith in Christ. Yet in Christ's eyes, these are the very ones who are intimately known, recognized, and cared for. So they may be little children, but in God's eyes, they are beloved children. You may be babies, but you are God's babies, God's children, pursued and sought after by a good shepherd and a good father who loves and cares for every member of his flock and pursues them to the end that none of them would perish. Amen. And the point, of course, is that if Jesus loves even the least of these, his brothers, even the most significant, the smallest of us, then we should too. It doesn't matter how unattractive or obnoxious or lowly or someone is, if they belong to Jesus, then we either despise or love Jesus to the same degree that we despise or love them. Oftentimes, Jesus shows up on your doorstep dressed in a way that you would never expect him to be dressed. Now, the last thing to notice in these three short verses at the end of chapter 10 is something that he repeats three times, and it's the word reward. Reward. A prophet's reward, a righteous person's reward. You will by no means lose his reward. And, and rewards aren't a new theme here in Matthew. We've, we've talked about them before. Jesus has addressed them before, especially in chapter 6. But what in the world are the rewards he's talking about? Well, to understand what Jesus is saying here, we have to back up in chapter 10 to verses 38 and 39. Here's what Jesus says you may remember from last week. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And we noticed last week that identifying with Jesus requires embracing some difficult things, including potentially losing your very life. So the reward that you may receive for welcoming Jesus 
and his disciples in this world could be humiliation, rejection, excommunication, public shaming, arrest, torture, even death. There are parts of the world where that is the case. You show hospitality to a Christian, there is a mark on your head. The reward you may receive for welcoming Jesus is opposition, and you take the risk of that kind of reward even by extending a cup of cold water to Jesus and his people. So on one level, these are the rewards Jesus is speaking of. How do the prophets often get treated in the Old Testament? They got killed. So do you want that kind of prophet's reward? How do righteous people often get treated around sinners by being persecuted and suffering? But on a deeper level, those are, those are rewards for sure. But Jesus is speaking of rewards that are deeper and more lasting. So we're going to head back over to Matthew 25 for just a few moments, where one of Jesus' main points is that for the most part, those who receive rewards from the hand of God will ultimately completely be surprised by them. The parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 to 30, we have two faithful servants who are rewarded by their master, who says to them, verses 21 and 23, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The very next parable, the parable of the sheep of goats in Matthew 25, 31 to 46, those who have lived generous and welcoming hospitality in their lives are in turn welcomed by the king. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Humor me for a moment. You ever make pro and con charts to make a decision? So humor me for a minute. We're gonna do a little pro and con chart here on the rewards that Jesus promises, okay? We'll start with the negative column. We'll call them cons. So the first con, persecution. These are rewards from Jesus that Jesus promises. How about betrayal, opposition, physical suffering, and death? Good list so far? Anything to add to it? Probably. <laughs> but let's not right now. Now let's do a positive column here. Here's what Jesus promises. True in eternal life, chapter 10, verse 39, whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Find it. And not just biological, physical life, but true eternal life, the same kind of life, the very kind of life that Jesus himself has. We will be given true and eternal life. We may be maligned by people, but we will be publicly affirmed by the king. Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. When we come to the end, whether we've been persecuted or martyred or what, Jesus will say, well done, in public, affirming us. The only voice, the only opinion that matters in the universe saying of you, well done. Public affirmation by the king Third, we'll be welcomed by the king himself. Come, he says, enter 
into the joy of your master. We will receive blessing. Come, you who are blessed by my father. We will receive a share in kingdom responsibility. Jesus says, you have have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There's this picture where Jesus is saying, when we come into that kingdom, one of the rewards will be that he will share his rule with us. He will share his kingdom with us and we will rule with him. And then finally, we will share in Christ's own joy, enter into the joy of your master. And I take that two ways. I think Jesus is talking about his own joy, that we will actually be part of the divine joy, that we will bring him joy, but that we will also share his joy. We will be fully joyful and we will live in that joy forever. So I'll let you judge for yourself how these lists compare with each other. Jesus points us to the obvious one. The rewards in the positive column are what I call welcome rewards. I I would welcome them. But they're also rewards that we get for extending welcome. And at the core of each of them is the idea of welcome. That we will be welcomed by the ones, by the one who we ourselves have welcomed. And as we've welcomed those who are of little account to the world, But precious to Jesus, we have welcomed him, and we will turn around and be welcomed by him. Jesus welcomes you. Do you welcome him? Through your love for all the little ones who are of no account to the world, but of great and sacred value to the king, do you love and welcome and care for the king himself? As we come to the Lord's table this morning, it's a time for those of us who confess faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If we come and take of this meal, this bread and this cup that represent the body and the blood of Jesus sacrificed on behalf of us to take away our sins, pay for them. Let me call your attention this morning to two purposes of this time. The first purpose is to come and receive grace by confessing our shortcomings, our sins, our rebellion against the king, the ways that we have not loved him by loving the least of these. But it's also a time to receive the gift of God's grace, not just in forgiveness as we confess, but the grace of empowerment to go, to welcome even the littlest ones, In Jesus' name. So if you're a follower of Christ, I invite you to come, partake, and receive the grace of Christ. He welcomes you to his table. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we are grateful that you, the King, welcome us to your bountiful table. You welcome us into your kingdom with open arms, and you call us little children, beloved children, sons, And daughters, and God, we want to live into that identity, not because we long to be great, but because we long for you to be great and to be seen as great. Father, would we recognize this morning our own humility, our own lowliness before you, and the great grace that we have that even as one lost sheep, you pursue us, you come after us. And there, Jesus, may be some in this room who are that lost sheep this morning. And I would pray for each of them. And I'd pray for those who are running from you, for those who have 
who have never met you, for those who don't even know they're lost, Lord, that you would awaken them to their state this morning. You would help them to see that without you, they are running in the opposite and the wrong direction. In their lostness, Lord, would you pursue them, to show them that you love them and cherish them, and want to call them son or daughter. And I pray that today would be a day of repentance, a day to turn. They would talk to someone, that they would turn to you this morning. And Lord, as we come as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, may we come in humility, may we come in gratitude, deep gratitude, and may we come in generosity, knowing that as we've freely received, we can go from here empowered to freely give. Would you do so? It's in your name that we pray.